Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What did U.S. Air Force personnel witness in England's Rendlesham Forest in December 1980? What was the aftermath for the eyewitnesses? Did anyone ever find out what really happened? Hello and welcome to the 682nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben and those long-range questions came from my co-host, dad, and partner in the paranormal, Paul. So this seems to uh, be the second week in a row that we've had a controversial show. I mean, might as well keep it going. And uh, we are opening up the lines and we have uh, plenty of written questions for listener, uh, from listeners for our very unusual guest. Now, because of our limited time, uh, we only have we have less than an hour, and the controversial nature of this case, we have to set some strict ground rules. Many thanks to those who've written in, but we've chosen only the most to-the-point questions that have to do with Steve's experience during the Rendlesham Forest incident. Uh, for callers, uh, you will be screened by our producer, who will ask you what your question is, uh, and who you are and where you're from, first name only. On the air, please state your question clearly and briefly, We'll then let you go, and Steve will answer the question if he can. Uh, the call-in number is 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240 from anywhere else. Uh, as we have time, we'll monitor Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Now, in studio with us today is Steve LaPlume, an eyewitness to an incident about, uh, incident about 21 days after the Rendlesham Forest incident, uh, which is often known as Britain's Roswell. Uh, Steve was an Air Force security policeman serving at RAF Woodbridge in Suffolk, England, a NATO air base adjacent to the forest. For more in-depth info on the incident, we refer you to the special shows link on the BehindTheParanormal.com website uh, and the Return to Rendlesham radio panels we did with most of the major eyewitnesses, including Steve, on CBS Radio in 2010 and 2011. So, Steve LaPlume, thank you for your service, and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. Good to be back. Well, it's great to have you. So I guess before we get started, you know, what, what, what was it, Julie Andrews said, what, the best place to start is at the beginning? Well, I think she was right. Yes. So let, let's uh, go for the most common question that you receive. What happened uh, during the RA or, or what happened during that time? Okay. Well, one thing I'd like to clear up is I wasn't a witness to the RFI incident. My incident happened about 21 days later. Mm-hmm. Okay. But being there, you know, I heard what was going on and everything. And the the fact was, um, Airman Palmer and myself were uh, discussing the incident when we actually had our sighting, oddly enough. Because we were like, oh, well, there's a lighthouse. And, you know, we're kind of trying to figure out, well, there's a lighthouse, there's the forest. And uh, uh, what we saw was in the, uh, in the sky, it kind of looked like a heart monitor where, you know, it goes up and down, you know, the little mm. leaps up and down. And it was just like a satellite cruising across the sky. And then the satellite went up and down so much. Uh, the satellite went up and down so much in uh, elevation. We we're just like, well, that's not normal, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it just kind of went in behind some clouds, but it, the clouds were over the forest. So when we called when we called it in, sorry, I'm not used to this. When we called it in, um, they said, you know, we saw something in the sky over the forest, and then it, it all just kind of broke loose from there. Yeah. Um, um, everybody came came down immediately. The uh, the phone rang at the uh, at the guard shack, and uh, it was Lieutenant England. Wanted to know what we saw, and then after that, I saw more brass than I'd seen in my life show up. Um, mm-hmm. And th- that's kind of the interesting thing was the way it all ties into the actual incident. People coming out, they knew something happened prior because one of the uh, 
one of the officers had brought out his wife and his child, and the wife was all giddy, and she had a Nikon camera, and like, hmm. oh boy, I hope we get to see something. And you know, I'm a I'm a brand new airman here. I'm just turned 18 years old, and I'm thinking, yeah, this doesn't seem right. Why would they bring, yeah, why would they bring a, uh, you know, why would they bring their family out to a military operation? It just didn't seem normal at all. You know. You know, we were a NATO base, and we were a very intricate part of what was going on with Poland and uh, the Solidarity Union and everything. So to have a civilian out on an operation just was was bizarre, you know, even to me being new. Yeah. Um, so they went off into the woods. They were out there for about 40 minutes or so, didn't find anything, came back, and, uh, and um, told us, okay, stay on the gate for the night. Usually I was off the gate at 7 o'clock or so. Uh, they told us to stay on the gate for the night, so let us know if you see anything else. Um, so Palmer went off and did his duties. I stayed on the gate. And then about an hour or so later, Palmer came back, and that's when we had our second sighting, which we never reported. Mm-hmm. He just out of, basically out of embarrassment. You know, in the Air Force, it's a real career breaker to have UFOs mentioned in your oh, file. Oh, right. So, so, um, but when it came back the second time, we could see that the, um, um, the lights were coming in. There was a light coming in, and they always come in. The airplanes always come in a certain way from the North Sea and the way they land. Um, and we thought, okay, well, something's coming in for a landing, but it was a little to the right of where that normally was. And then as it started getting over the forest, it came towards us and uh, came basically up the road instead of to the left where the runway would have been. And from that point on, it's kind of weird. I got tunnel vision, and I don't know if that was adrenaline or what, but I got tunnel vision, and I remember seeing this craft that was a long, uh, like a cigar-shaped craft, and it seemed like they have a lot of haze around it, and it wasn't very clear. And it came up, and it came over our heads, and I'm going to say it was a 1,000 feet or less over our heads. And uh, I just remember looking up at this thing thinking, wow, you just got to check this out, Steve. This is going to be the greatest thing you ever saw in your life. Well, I don't mm. know greatest, but it was the most interesting thing I ever saw. Well, I can, I can <laughs> imagine, yeah. Um, and it was a structured craft. I remember it had some lights underneath it. Um, there was a, a blue light, a green light, and I believe a red light. And um, it had some sort of a hatch on the bottom, and I was so focused on that, I don't even remember the peripheral vision. I was just focused on this hatch. Um, it was over our head for a couple I don't know, say maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds at the most, and it just kind of meandered off over uh, to our right across the field, went over the base, and off it went. It slowly meandered up into the sky and blended in with the stars. It wasn't any fast motion. It was just real slow, and I I couldn't, uh, to this day, I don't understand why nobody else on the base saw this craft Mm. besides me and Palmer. Well, you hear that frequently, so. Yeah. Okay. So, well, thank you, Steve. So let, sure. let's get to our question. We have our first caller, who I believe ben, is uh, none other than Larry Warren, who is uh, from England right now, but he was uh, another eyewitness to the actual the RFI incident itself. And Larry, how are you doing? Oh, did we, do we have him? Okay, well. All right, we, all right. Well, we, we Hopefully he'll he'll call back. But uh, again, the number uh, in the U.S. or Canada eight hundred four four nine one two four zero, and uh, we can go to our first question here. Uh, oh, okay, we we do have Larry. All right. Okay, so let's uh, let's get him on. Um, Larry, are you uh, are you with us? Hello. I think so. Hi, Larry. <laughs> I'm always got in trouble. I'm here. Oh. <laughs> you are nothing but trouble, my friend, I'll tell you. So. You know that, man. Is that my brother, Steve? Hey, Larry, how you doing? How are you, my friend? It's been a long time. I wanted to call in and say hi, Paul. How are you? 
Oh, great, Larry. It's nice to hear from you. Uh, we, we we're real pressed for time, so. Um, I, know, I know. I just wanted. I was asked to call in, and I'm happy to do it. And great. I think Ronnie LeBlanc, your other guest, sounds so much like Steve. I heard him on another show, and I thought, my God, that's Steve, and it wasn't. It was Ronnie. Well, there you go. Boys, I guess. So, do you have any uh, quick question here, or, or or you just you just wanted I don't to greet need us? To ask Steve anything. We go back 37 years. I ah. just wanted to say hi to him. Great, great. Uh, the Stins has come out. Uh, Steve Longero, You know all the circle of madness that continues. Halt is getting worse in his later years. Stephen, be careful. I'll tell you, there's a lot of rats in the butter. But okay. Love to you. I hope your family's good, and uh, I won't tie it up because Steve has a lot to say, and he's a man of honor. It's good to hopefully be in touch with you down the line, Steve. All right. Very good. good Thank you very you much, Larry. Great to talk to you. Okay. okay. So let. Okay. Bye bye. Great. Bye bye. Okay, we have a uh, question from Sherry in Muncie, Indiana. Ben, if you'd be. Can you, do you have time to do this? Because you have to be the producer today as well. I'm, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this for you, Dad. Thank you, Ben. You're <laughs> back in the will. So, uh, <laughs> Sherry uh, writes to us. Can Steve tell us about what happened after the incident? And people on the base were talking about it. Uh, were there different versions of what happened, like there are now, or did everybody agree on what they saw? Uh, that's easy to answer. Everybody shut up. Um, it was real slipped under the rug and kind of hush hushed and quieted and. Um, the only reason I really had any interaction about the first incident was the guys came through the day room um, that morning, and I happened to bump into them. Uh, somebody said, yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so got chased by a UFO out in the woods, and that, that was my only knowledge of it. If I wasn't in the day room at that time, I don't even know if I would have heard about it. Okay, but but when you did hear anything, was it the same version or people were telling different stories? All, all, no, all I, all I had heard was... They got chased by a UFO in the woods, mm-hmm. and that's all I had heard until Larry had come into my dorm room and uh, talked to me about what he had seen. Okay. I had never heard any any details at all about it. Okay. Uh, we have a question here from John, J-O-N, does not say where he is from. Uh, ben, perhaps you could read this one, too. Alrighty. So, John writes to us. Uh, hi, Paul and Ben. Really enjoy the show, listening here in the UK. Question for Steve. On the uh, third night, uh, the halt night, uh, it has always been said that British police officers were in the forest at the same time. Uh, do you know anything about this, Steve? Also, does uh, Steve know if any of them have come forward and spoken out? Uh, just just to clarify, Colonel Charles Halt, uh, Halt Knight, as it were, yeah. uh, was uh, the deputy base commander who was in the thick of this. Correct. So, Correct. okay. And uh, no, I have no knowledge of that because, again, I was not there at, on that night. So, yeah. I've, I'm not going to speculate at all. I have no idea at all. Yeah, we appreciate that. We don't like to speculate either. However, the speculation is that there were two uh, British police officers who kind of showed up, and I got there depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we have a, a question from Maddie, M-A-D-D-I-E, I guess it must be Madeline, in Blackstone, Massachusetts, right here in our living, uh, actual listening area here. And I'll mark these so they don't get mixed up. Thank you, I appreciate that. So, Maddie writes to us, how many actual eyewitnesses were there in the Rendlesham Forest incident? Um, again, I wasn't there. I had heard there were upwards of 20, um, and this was talking with Larry. So that would be secondhand information, so I can't confirm. We've had, over the years, I think about 14 on the show, from Major Laurie Rayfelt and Colonel Halt all the way down to people who were just, you know, said they were there and 
all this sort of thing. So there we go. Ben, why don't you can just take them one at a time. All right. Uh, so this one is from Brandon from Question Mark. Uh, Brandon writes to us, uh, was Steve messed with, uh, as Colonel Halt said, most of the eyewitnesses were, and why do you feel you or they were messed with? Okay, well, no, I wasn't messed with. I wasn't uh, interrogated. Uh, when I came off duty that night, my sergeant asked me what happened. I told him about the first sighting, and that's the last anybody ever even spoke to me about it in an official capacity um, until after I was getting ready to be uh, released from the service. Um, uh, at that point, the guy that I was with, Wendell Palmer, uh, he was a senior airman, he had transferred to OSI, and then he asked me a couple questions, which was basically, hey, what are you going to do? Um, he was kind of getting to, are you going to talk about the incident? And I just told him, no, I'm going to go back to civilian life and forget I was ever in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the only, I guess, interrogation I ever had. OSI standing for? Uh, the Office of Office of Special Investigations. Special Investigations, right. Yeah. Okay. If I could say that ten times fast. <laughs> well, it's a long time ago for both of us, actually. Yeah. So, more so for me. So, um, yep. okay, very good. So, uh, we are encouraging uh, callers today, 800-449-1240, anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, outside North America, you take your chances, uh, 401-766-1240. You can call in via Skype or uh, or whatever there, there may be. Okay, we have, um, actually, we have another caller. Uh, hello, welcome to WON and Behind the Paranormal. Do you have a question for Steve? Hey, Paul, it's author Ryan LeBlanc. How are you? Oh, Ronnie, how are you? Yeah, Very Ronnie um, from um, our neighbors to the north here. And uh, what's, your, what's your question for Steve? For Steve, hey, Steve. Um, being from Lemonster, I was just curious if you had any experiences growing up uh, around uh, Monsterland or just in your life in regards to having any kind of paranormal experiences uh, before your uh, experiences at Rendlesham Forest? Um, not at Monsterland, but I lived at uh, 404 Merriam Avenue, and uh, oh, that, yeah. ho- that house was completely haunted. <laughs> we, had oh, a lo- we had a lot of incidences there. Our dog would sit up and uh, put his paw up like there was somebody there. I mean, it was, it was a pretty interesting house to live in, yeah. Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Ronnie. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go against our own ground rules here. Just for one second, tell people about your book, because it's really interesting. Sure. Yeah, so uh, Monsterland is a uh, section in southern Lemonster uh, by the Lancaster border. Lemonster, Massachusetts, uh, and, for those uh, who don't know. There's been experiences with people having uh, UFO encounters, seeing orbs, uh, orange orbs in particular, uh, also Bigfoot encounters that kind of go back uh, to 1848 in that same area. Uh, it's been developed now. There's a super Walmart that's there. Uh, but I started doing some research after a friend of mine, Bill Penning, had discovered some Bigfoot tracks, um, which he didn't know they were at the time, uh, in a, a section of Lemonster State Forest. And as we started doing uh, some research on this, uh, basically other cases uh, seemed to emerge. People started coming out with their stories. And uh, there was a gentleman that disappeared, uh, who went into uh, Twins, which was a okay, bar. I'll have to cut you short, Ronnie. We're going yeah. to do a separate show with you and Bill Penning, but uh, we just wanted to point out that uh, you and Steve LaPlume are both uh, favorite sons of yeah. uh, Lemonster, Massachusetts. But Ronnie will be talking to you. Thanks for calling in. All right, thanks. Okay, Bye. great. 
Okay. Uh, our next um, question is from Craig in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Uh, let me give the numbers again to 800-449-1240 or 401-766-1240. Take it away, Ben. So Craig writes to us, uh, when the craft passed over Steve at the East Gate, did the other guards see it also? Did Steve feel like he received anything from the craft like the binary code Peniston talks about? Okay, well, I was opposite the uh, side of the police cruiser with uh, Senior and Palmer, and we both definitely saw it. And, um, no, I didn't believe I received anything from it other than a look of awe. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just briefly explain what, what this, the, the Peniston binary code thing is for those who don't know. Uh, Sergeant Jim Peniston was one of the eyewitnesses on this during the main uh, few days in December of 80, uh, the main events in Rendlesham Forest, and he said that he actually walked up to a landed craft, put his hand on it. It was warm to the touch. There was writing of some kind on it, which he copied down in a book, and he said he received a binary code, which is zeros and ones in certain combinations. It's basic computer language, uh, which later, in his opinion, uh, and, and in the opinion of several others who looked at it, were uh, coordinates uh, terrestrial coordinates, Earth coordinates. So that's what that means. And interestingly enough, w- when we were there, we make it a point to talk to local witnesses and things and other people who uh, maybe have been outside the main incidents, and we always find that they themselves have had experiences, and people mention this binary code uh, thing still going on in Rendlesham Forest. So, so that's that's the background on that. Uh, we have Shane from Perth, Australia. Uh, can st- uh, Ben had to go. He's managing the show today as the producer. Can Ben, can Ben, right, can Steve talk about what agencies got involved in the case after it happened, or was there no way to identify them like CIA, CIA, NSA, or others? Okay. um, I had heard that CIA had showed up and NSA, but I had no interaction with them whatsoever. So, again, I... Lucky you. Yeah, I know. know, Lucky me compared to the rest, right? Right. but that might, again, that might be because uh, we just kept our mouth shut and never said anything, where mm-hmm. others might have talked about it and drawn yeah. you know, a little attention to themselves. That's that. Keeping your mouth shut is never a bad idea, no. coming from a talk show host. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Shane uh, from Perth, Australia, continues, uh, were they all American or were some British agencies? But uh, Again. You, you, yeah, yeah, okay. I had no interaction. Fair enough. All right. Uh, moving on here to our next one. Uh, we have uh, uh, Eddie from Douglas, Massachusetts. Here, our listening area as well. Yep. Eddie, you say? So Eddie writes to us, uh, Steve, were you a witness to uh, more than one night of the RAF uh, or the RFI? I should say. Uh, what were you doing on those nights uh, when you were not a witness? How did all the witnesses get along uh, before the incident? And uh, were the people? Uh, that didn't, or were there people that didn't get along prior? Also, did people on the base? Uh, well, I give one question. Uh, no, there's like 20 <laughs> questions in there. I'm yeah, sorry. Okay. So, yeah. so first right. things first. Yeah, okay. We're not running Jeopardy here. <laughs> All, right. All right. Who <laughs> is no? All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, no, everybody got along good. We're a very tight unit, um, and I was on law enforcement. I was temporarily assigned to them um, because my security clearance hadn't come through. So, um, so the guys that were the security policemen, they were all very tight unit. We all had our own little flights, and um, you know, flights being flights being uh, yeah, a yeah. group of I don't know what you call it. All, all the airmen that were on the duty at the same time. Okay, yeah. um, I don't know. I was in the Coast Guard. <laughs> okay, so um, so 
everybody, you know, I didn't see anybody that was any bickering or any backbiting. Everybody seemed pretty tight. We're all very professional. And um, after the incident, um, again, I didn't see anybody's demeanor change rapidly. Um, I know that some people got ridiculed, but again, everybody kind of shut up and swept it under the rug. So it was kind of business as usual. As far as um, how many nights, I just had my one night that I saw, and again, which was about 21 days after the RFI incident. So um, that's the only night that I had. Any- well, a lot, a lot of people, when when they think of of you, uh, think that you know, you were on the gate during the incident, and you're seeing all this stuff right. while everybody in the forest I, was yeah, seeing it. clearly was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we should clarify yes. that. Um, there, we should also clarify, and maybe you can, this is a question that we had. In the um, in your entire time at RAF Woodbridge, mm-hmm. there were, and I'm particular of uh, Major Lori Rayfeld, who was enlisted at the time, mm-hmm. was saying that uh, she had had experiences while at Eastgate, mm-hmm. uh, outside of the time period, you know, much as you have said, outside of that that three to four day period in December, right. when uh, they would see things that didn't seem necessarily to be UFO related, but you might say uh, Yeti, as they say over there, or uh, ghost type things, something fluky but not flying craft or lights. Um, did you ever hear anyone mention strange things happening at the East Gate or in the forest? Oh yeah, uh, before and after or yeah, definitely. The, legendary. the East Gate, yeah, the East Gate was like the legend of the whole. Oh the really? Whole squadron, yeah. It was like um, we had uh, East End Charlie, which was a ghost that haunted the East Gate. Mm-hmm. So you know the new guys always got put out there. So, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> but um, but I personally, I never saw anything out of the, out of the ordinary at all. I, I spent well, except for this. Well, other than that well, yeah. incident, yes. Like <laughs> but, kind of but other than this yeah. incident, I never I never got the heebie-jeebies or anything. Yeah. I never felt there was a ghost out there or anything yeah. like that. So. Um, See, that's our contention, that, that this is a flap area. You get all kinds of seemingly unrelated phenomena. Things mm-hmm. happened to us when we were there. Yeah. You know, and so um, that, that's re- there's just reason. Yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never ever been back there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um, maybe that might be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. <laughs> so what do we got next there, Ben? Alrighty. So we have a question from uh, Gary. From question mark, and Gary writes to us, I have heard that Steve believes that what happened to him at Woodbridge ruined his life. Uh, can you please explain why he feels this way? Sure. Um, before I went in the service, I was uh, kind of a kind-hearted, real naive young kid. Um, and then after this, and, and I was raised a very, uh, very uh, normal Catholic household. I went to church, you know, the whole bit and everything. And uh, after this, it just kind of, I got disillusioned about everything when it came to um, what I was told, being raised, you know, um, all of a sudden things just seemed like they were so bizarre and out of whack that um, I, in, I don't want to say the incident ruined the, my, my life. I ruined my life myself because of what I saw and just my reaction to it. Um, you know, I just kind of twisted off, you might say, you know. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know how else to answer that. You know, I'm the master of my own destiny. I cause my own problems in life. And most of us do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so this next one is from uh, Ronnie in Marietta, Ohio. And Ronnie writes to us, uh, I thought I would ask this uh, before Paul and Ben have the chance to. Steve, uh, did you ever have any paranormal experiences? Oh, uh, I guess we already did ask this question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, do you feel that what happened to you that night made you more sensitive to the paranormal? No, I've never had any uh, experience since then that I could even attribute to it. Um, I've, I've never felt ghosts or anything, or you know, I, I saw 
some stuff when I was a kid at that house that I had mentioned. Yeah. And I've never had anything since. So, yeah. I don't okay. think I'm really sensitive to anything. All right. So I guess moving on, we have uh, Megan's question now. Uh, does Steve think the conflicts among the witnesses to the RIF or RFI? I don't know. Why I keep saying that. <laughs> RFI were deliberately started by the government uh, disinformation machine. Uh, does he think they will ever get the real truth? Okay, I'll start with the last one first. I doubt we'll ever get the real truth, unless something bizarre happens, like there's an overthrow of the government and somebody digs into some files maybe. <laughs> um, but as far as um, dis- disinformation, that's the easiest way to discredit an, an event is to get a couple of different people backbiting each other and fighting and um, get at least one person in there telling a different story. And I mean, it seems, seems kind of obvious to me that something like that happened. No, it makes sense. And uh, one more quick question before the break. Let me just find a quick question first. Well, did we can answer I, the first I, part of that question? Can I expand on that a little too? Yeah, I did. Yeah, please. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Um, just, you know, from a pure police officer point of view, if you have an accident and you got five witnesses, you're going to get five different perspectives on that accident. Mm. So, you know, you might be seeing the same thing, but you're going to have different details coming out from different people. Yeah. So, you know... People like nitpick under a microscope every word that everybody says on this incident, and they just don't take the human factor in here that you know somebody might have seen something a little different or felt it felt you know it affected them differently. So, okay, that's true. And now it is time for our break. Okay, well you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And uh, broadcasting for our, uh, not our, but its 70th year here in the Blackstone Valley, and we're real proud to be here at ON1240. So we'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Steve LaPlume. Stick with us. Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores, as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox is on my morning sports reports. And they are right here on ON1240, Monday through Friday on the Morning Fun Show. Well, that's a long break, and in case you don't remember, it's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on ON 1240 here, and we have our wonderful guest today, Steve LaPlume, who's come in, in studio. We always love when a guest is in the studio because you're right here, you know, yep. it's better than a telephone conversation. Uh, and we are taking questions today from listeners on uh, the uh, Rendlesham Forest incident and uh, Steve's experience uh, with the UFO sighting uh, 21 days later while he was guarding uh, the, the guardian of the gate there at the famous East Gate at uh, RAF Woodbridge in England. And uh, we're going to continue uh, with some of that. And we're also going to continue with some questions uh, after we finish these uh, that were so many came in really asking the same thing. So we boiled down some of them. And uh, we'll ask that. Uh, ben, what's uh, what do we got next? So we got Chuck from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, uh, our, our home hometown or home base, uh, <coughs> who writes in, I would be interested in Steve's opinion about what the craft he saw actually was. Uh, I have heard the show um, when uh, Monroe Nevels was on, and he thinks uh, what he saw was Russian. J- uh, Jim Penniston was on the show also, and he thinks uh, it was time travelers. What does Steve think? Yeah, referring to two other witnesses who have yeah. different opinions. Um, I don't know. It was a structured craft, and I don't know anything about time travel or how that works, but it was a structured craft. Um, it didn't make any noise. I know that. Either that or somebody shut my ears off because I didn't yeah. hear a thing. Um, as far as me personally, I don't know. I, I think I'm leaning more towards time travel 
You know? Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I actually okay. do. Yeah. And, and the reason is because one thing Jim had said was he asked them, who are you? And they answered, we are you or we, you know, you are us or something to that effect. Yeah. So to me, and that's just based off of gut feeling more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just and not to digress, but Jim has been on the show a number of times mm-hmm. and uh, talking about this experience. And you've heard him, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, he said that he felt, uh, th- and, and I remember seeing video of a session in which Jim was hypnotized to go back to this incident, and he said they were not alien, they were us, mm-hmm. which really pretty much says it all. Although one wonders what it does mean. I mean, so they weren't some you know little gray guys from some other planet, maybe, but they were us. Uh, so that um, well, and, yeah, and I don't know. I guess to expand on that a little bit, the reason I would I personally think that is if there was some sort of a radiation incident further in the future, wouldn't they come back and try and get our DNA or try to keep us from blowing ourselves up? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't. know. To me, that just seems like. Reason. Well, this gets not to step on any of our questioners. And our number again, 800 449 1240, anywhere in the US or Canada, or 76, I should say 401 766 1240, if you'd like to talk to Steve today. But again, very quick question, and Steve will answer it if he can. But the entire, our whole idea about Randallsham is that it's a flap area, which means different intersect points of parallel worlds, mm-hmm. which I suppose someone with higher technology could use for tra- a means of travel, uh, or uh, the time travel, and we've talked about this many times on the show, physicist of my acquaintance says you don't travel back and forth in time, you travel sideways, hmm. because it's all simultaneous, as Einstein pretty much uh I think proved in the theories of relativity, particularly his 1952 book, Relativity. So um, time travel is an interesting concept, mm-hmm. and who and what are they? Um, we have any more of those from Facebook, Ben? We have two more. Okay. So I guess we should power through these. Uh, this is from... No, no, no need to rush. Sorry. Well, I mean, you know, we, there's, 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 pl- there's plenty of questions. Right. So uh, Katie writes to us from Southgate, Michigan, and uh, she writes to us, did Steve have any missing time during his experience? Also, did the other man on the gate see the UFO as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yes, uh, Airman Palmer did see the UFO as well. Because um, we were, like, like I said, we were, there was a police cruiser and I was on one side and he was on the other. Mm-hmm. So we were side by side. Um, but as far as, um, I'm sorry, what was the first part of that question? <laughs> I kind of got lost. Oh, did you have a missing time experience? Oh, um, you know, I remember looking up at the craft, and I remember the craft being to my right. So if I had missing time, it was a blink of an eye. But okay. it, but it might have just been me just like looking at Palmer or something like that. I just mm. I just don't remember going from here to here type of thing. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, the craft would have moved 20 feet in that missing time okay. span. But it, it doesn't bother me. I don't think I was abducted or anything like that. I yeah. never had any reoccurring dreams or anything like okay would be associated with somebody being abducted. So okay. All right, very good. Uh, so you never. Um, uh, the reason I think the person may have asked the question in the previous shows, uh, witness John Burroughs, who was with Peniston in the forest when the right. craft was on the ground, uh, if that's what it was, uh, says that, he, that there may have been missing time experience in his case. Right. So right. perhaps that was the reason for the. Yeah, event. I had heard that, but I. Yeah. No, I don't believe we had any missing time. Either one of us, we weren't unaccounted okay. for at any time or anything. Okay, well that's that's good to know. You're here. You're here now. That's what else matters, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> Ben, uh, has, uh, we have another caller, and uh, who's our caller, Ben? Uh, that would be uh, Susan McNeil Spooler. Oh, very good. Yes, an organi- a good friend of ours. All our friends are calling in today. <laughs> Organizer <laughs> of the wonderful uh, Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, and uh, we'll give her a chance to mention that. Susan, how are you? I am well, Ben. How are you? 
I'm Paul. That's it's all right. Paul. I, I know this is Paul. I was about to say Paul also. We disguise our voices. So, I know, I to, so you have a question for Steve. Well, I just wanted to, to point out that Steve was a speaker at our conference uh, several years ago and how much people enjoyed, uh, people especially, especially from our hometown of Lemonster, Massachusetts. It was great. Yeah, we were there. Enjoyed yeah. having him uh, be as a speaker, and he, of course, would be welcome again at our, at our conference this year, October 6th and 7th in Lemonster City Hall. But, but Steve, an interesting, an interesting um, point is that our fathers, our, our, both of our fathers served together in the Air Force, and then his sister and I graduated from high school together, so it was always it's all very interesting, the, the connections between everybody. Very good. Situation. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so did you have a question about the case, or you just wanted to greet us? and? Uh... I just wanted to greet you and, and, and welcome Steve and say hello. Okay, uh, g- give us the website, if you would, please, Susan, uh, oh, f- for people who want to find out more about the, the conference. It's newenglandufo.com, www.newenglandufo.com. Okay. UFO.com. All right. And, and it's okay. October 6th and 7th this year. Looking forward to it. We'll be there. Okay. Great. Look forward Thanks to soon. seeing you. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. Take care. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, what are we, what are we All right. The final, the final one of the questions. It's the final countdown. So this is TJ from Camps Bay, South Africa. And TJ writes to us, I would like to know if Steve Plume had any contact with the Ministry of Defense or the U.S. Department of Defense after the incident. Uh, was he ever called on to uh, work on any UFO projects after that? No, I never had any contact with them, and I was never ever involved with any UFO projects or anything. Okay. Yeah. All right. You you, you got to remember, I, I was I was actually booted out of the service soon after this, um, so they would never have. You want to talk about that? Because um, I, I was yeah. hoping to get those questions all over the first half hour, but we're a little over. But I want to get to the sum up questions. Sure. There were a lot of people who were who were curious about whether your exit from the Air Force uh, after this had anything to do with the case. A lot of people wanted to know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was directly, uh, for me, it was directly related to this. Um, once, uh, it's hard to explain. Once I figured out I that I was being followed by somebody because I confronted them in the uh, the all-ranks club, um, once I figured out, okay, Larry's not lying, maybe he was taken and interrogated, because yeah, I was kind of referring skeptical. Referring to Larry Warren. Larry yeah. Warren, yeah. I was kind of skeptical about that, but I figured these people had been following me. I finally confronted them. They were supposed to be German uh, TDY, temporary duty, and they left the back of the all-ranks club and got into a civilian car and left, and it had New York license plates. So there was something real screwy yeah, going on. So once that happened, I thought, okay, I'm into something here really over my head that I don't want to be in. And uh, you can understand, I was very scared mama's boy at the time, that time in my life. Okay, I was very, very immature, and I decided, okay, um, i got to figure out how to get out of the Air Force and get out of here. And I was actually just in a lot of fear for my own safety. So um, the reason I got booted out was... Um, I did a fake, um, because I, had, I would never kill myself, but I did a fake suicide attempt and cut my stomach open and turned myself in, and within months I was out of the service. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we've talked about that before. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, we it's do, nothing I'm proud of, but no, I, I no. figured out how to get out. Okay. <laughs> and, you know. Well, I hate to, I, I don't wanna, we don't want to drag any of the, uh, the um, interpersonal things going on here, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about this case, about who was where, who saw what, and mm-hmm. this and that. So we do have a question that came in by email from uh, Phil or Philip. Not sure where he's from. 
can you ask Steve, is it true that he sent Halt, Colonel Halt, Deputy Base Commander, an email mentioning that Larry, Larry Warren, had asked him to lie on his behalf? If so, can you give some details? I don't know if you want to touch that. Um, yeah, I don't believe I sent Halt uh, an email. Yeah. I, I might have. All right. Yeah. But, um, but did Larry ever ask me to lie? Um, the only time Larry asked me to do something that I felt uncomfortable with was with um, um, when Georgina was writing her book. Um, Larry had asked me to tell Georgina that he had come into the dorm room and asked me to hide some film canisters, which I do not recall at all that he ever did that. Uh, that's Georgina, the, the British Georgina, author? Yeah, who, Georgina Bruni, who wrote... Okay. Um, who wrote the, her book. Well, the first book really that, about this case, as I understand, right? Uh, well, the first big, biggest book. Or article, or whatever, yeah, yeah, okay. So... Okay. Um, so now was he lying? I don't know. I surely don't remember him doing that, and I didn't feel comfortable with him telling me to do that. So I, I can't say he was lying. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't recall it at all, and I've got a pretty okay. good recall. So you really can't really yeah. answer that. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 in my experience, you have a terrific memory. Yeah, I've got yeah. an exception for somebody memory. of our vintage. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I've, and I've, you're a lot younger than I am. Well, there, there's something if I can expand on that. There's something out there called um, um, autobiographical, oh, hyper-autobiographical disorder, which means you can remember every day of your life in great detail. That's right. Okay. I'm not saying I'm that because that would be like 100% every day. That would be pretty annoying. Right. Yeah. It would be. But um, I'd prob- I'm probably about 80, 85% there. Um, if you asked me to recall the first time we met, I could tell you exactly what we did, how I entered your house. He was in the right-hand room. We went downstairs. Yeah. I mean, I can yeah. tell you exactly everything that happened well, the first time creepy. we met. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it kind of is. And it's very yeah. annoying because yeah. um, afterwards, as you know, I, I hired myself out as a soldier. So yeah. some of that stuff I can't forget. And uh, mm. more importantly, uh, something that really affected me was the tsunami I was in over in uh, Thailand. Which wow, yeah, yeah, I can't get that out of my head. So. I wasn't aware that, uh, of that. Yeah, we've never talked about that. Yeah, it's because uh, yeah. I'll I'll go to tears if we talk about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. So. Well, we won't do <laughs> yeah. that. We're not trying. That's not our subject <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So just uh, uh, one of the one of the uh, the questions a lot of people were wondering, uh, just to sum up, was uh, there have been uh, there's been some talk uh, with some of the witnesses about medical issues that they mm-hmm. have that may or may not have been covered by the VA mm-hmm. uh, because they may or may not have been related to this incident, uh, whether it be radiation or uh, the site being affected or anything, mm-hmm. or, or perhaps psychological issues because of this. Um, a lot of people wanted to know if you had any medical issues stemming from anything that you went through during this period that might have been related to the RFI? No, I mean, I've, I've got medical issues that are related to a lot of other things. I used to race motorcycles, and I've broken right. a number of bones. Yeah, <laughs> so, that, that'll do it. So yeah. that would do it. But, um, no, I, um, I came back, and the only thing was um, when I did come back, um, I used to have exceptional eyesight. When I came back probably, I want to say maybe three years later, I ended up needing glasses, mm-hmm. but that might be old age creeping up with me too. I don't know. Yeah. So I mean. Well, you haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you know, I've um, had LASIK surgery twice. So. Oh dear, really? Oh yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, so. Now, one thing that and this is a sort of a personal question, Ben. If you have any questions, uh, you know, we can get them in before. And, and I, sure. let me give our numbers again: eight hundred four four nine one two four zero U.S. or Canada, uh, or uh, from anywhere four zero one seven six six one two four zero. Ben, did you have a question? Uh, no, I was just going to point out the time. Oh, what about it? Oh, that, you know, we're just, you know, we we, we gotta gotta hurry it up a little bit. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so, uh, um, another question uh, had to do with, and you've mentioned this on the show before. A number of people wanted to know about the with the following of you that that occurred uh, after this incident, and you know, mm-hmm. did it occur? 
just then or has it occurred since then? And one or two people wanted to know if you had uh, men in black experiences. Okay, well, yeah, when I was talking about the people that followed me, I just happened to notice, because I'm very observant. And, You're right. And I just happened to notice I kept seeing these same two guys off in the corner here or, you know, if I was going to the... Uh, to the liquor store to buy a six-pack of beer. They just happened to be on my way or be around the corner. and I just happened to notice these two people. So that's why when I saw them in the all-ranks club, I confronted them because I was just like, okay, enough's enough. Um, I refer that as to the point where I became a man and kind of manned up mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, just went over and talked with these guys. And uh, what I did was I waited for one of the guys to go to the bathroom, and then I went and got a cigarette because I don't smoke. I went and got a cigarette from the barmaid, went over and asked the guy to light a cigarette for me. And he was playing dumb like, oh, I don't speak English. And I'd, so I kind of gestured to him, you know, a cigarette universal, mm. you know, lighting a lighter. Uh, he lit the cigarette, and I just said, hey, you know what? I don't really smoke, but you and your friend, you're, you're horrible tales. I'm already on to you, so you might as well give it up. And I turned and walked away. Mm. And, um, and I, like I said, that's when his, his partner came back. They talked for a couple seconds, and then they got up and they left out of the, the rear of the all-ranks club, which nobody leaves out of the rear of the all-ranks club. There's nothing yeah. but garbage cans back there. Right. You know, it's, it's like the back alley. Yeah. And there was a car parked there. It was a dark car, dark sedan. It was a, it was a Lincoln Mark IV. I remember seeing that, and I remember seeing the license plate, and uh, it was a New York license plate. Mm -hmm. So, And people would bring their cars from the States, so that wasn't unusual. If they stayed on the base, they would have their plate until they got a U.K. plate, I guess. I'm not sure exactly how that process went. Mm -hmm. But um, but to have people that were supposed to be temporarily on duty there and speaking German and no English and driving away in a dark sedan with you know, U.S. plates just seemed a little too much for me. Yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah. Um, um, but since then, I've never had anybody approach me about this i've never felt like i've had any men in black or anything at that point okay. no uh there are a lot of people wrote in wanted to know if you um <clears throat> well essentially uh, i would sum up the question this way how do you know you weren't messed with because uh, some of the people said that they had you know maybe were but had no memory of it maybe the memory was erased somehow and this sort of thing how do you respond to that um I guess I can't. I guess if they were really good at what they do, I would have no idea that they messed with me. Yeah. Well, so have you? Ever, well, this is another question that came. Have you ever been hypnotized? Um, well, I had. Um, I had somebody try to hypnotize me at one point, and well, voluntarily, mm. and um, I just really don't think it clicked a whole lot. Uh, nobody's ever been able to hypnotize me either. Yeah. 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 Be interesting so. if they could, right, Ben? Yeah. Yes. yes. Who knows the kind of things you've seen? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I was very relaxed, and I was remembering what was going on, but I, I remember everything anyway, yeah. so, you know. Well, I, okay. And I think you've answered this one a hundred times, but uh, a number of people won, and just in respect of thanking them for writing in, mm -hmm. have you ever been abducted that you know of by aliens? No, not that I know of. Okay. Well, or, or otherwise, I've never had humans abduct me either. That's reassuring. <laughs> a lot, a lot, you're lucky, uh, given this. Um, a lot of people well, were very curious. my former profession, yeah. I think, I think the, the mo most of the questions we got, not most of the questions, but I think a majority of, of uh, the uh, questions we got concerning the people on the base whom you knew mm -hmm. uh, were, were the interpersonal relations. And we, we've asked several of those uh, mm -hmm. on the show today. But people are just very curious about, I, th I think it, it, it stems from the shifting loyalties that we see in 
recent years between the, some of the people who are considered major players in the RFI, mm-hmm. and people are very interested, and, and because you've kind of tried to stay in the background, yeah. uh, people have been curious about your interpersonal relations, and you've made it clear that they were good mm-hmm. with everybody on the show. Uh, was there anyone who was involved in the case uh, more prominently than yourself uh, with whom you did not get along before that, a lot of people just want to know that. No, and um, a lot of the reason why was because, again, I was temporary dutied over to law enforcement, mm-hmm. and um, I, I didn't have a whole lot of interaction with these guys. At, at guard mount, we'd all get our weapons. Um, I wasn't qualified with a pistol, so I'd grab an M16. So, yeah, you know, so I'd you know I'd be doing law enforcement with a machine gun compared to everybody else with a pistol, mm. but um, uh, that would be like the only time I would interact with them, other than getting on the bus and riding to the. Central Security Control with them. Well, I have so. to echo what you said. Uh, you know, having served in the military, I mean, not the Air Force, but you know, when, when you're serving with someone, you got stuff to do, and you're you're in harm's way, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you stick together. Yeah. You know, you, if the, there's any interpersonal stuff uh, that even comes up at all, you you work it out and you live with it. It's very often unspoken. Yeah. You yeah. know, so um, I can see why people would question this uh, these relationships, but they just they generally just don't come up mm-hmm. in an active military situation. Right. Right. And and I just want to echo before what I had said at that talk that uh, Susan had talked about had called in about. Um, I really resent the fact. I mean, I was probably the biggest screw-up on the whole squadron, okay? <laughs> Everybody else there were some of the most professional people I've ever run across. Um, you know, I've done a lot of extracurricular military stuff after this, and uh, they were all very professional. I didn't, you know, run across anybody that was a, a real goof-up. There was a couple guys like myself that had issues, but, you know, they were quickly weeded out of the service. I mean, if anybody had a problem, Major Ziegler was very strict about, if you got a problem, then you're gone, you know? He wanted to go for uh, the best in USAFE, which is the United States Air Force Europe. He was going for um, for this award, and uh, if, if you were a goof-up, you were gone, and mm-hmm. that's the way it was, so... Well, we also uh, a number of people wanted to know if you uh, what this did this experience that you had at Eastgate what it did to your religious beliefs. Um, well, for quite a while, um, I turned my back on God very wholeheartedly, um, and I'll mention it again. I, I became a mercenary soldier, mm-hmm. and I didn't care about anything. Yeah. I cared my my God had had pictures of presidents on it and was green, you know. Right. It was just money, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but recently, um, I don't want to say recently in the past twenty years. Um, after going through... Our age, that's recent. Huh? To us, that's recent. To us, that's recent, yeah. Um, No, I mean, just after being a mercenary and doing a lot of horrible things in my life, I just kind of basically came to Jesus. I'm a full-on Christian now, and uh, I'm a... I follow the Bible, and I'm Christian, and Mm -hmm. not not afraid to say it. Okay, well, good. Uh, Now, on on the question of... uh, Having been in the seminary, people are always blaming me for not espousing their religious beliefs, you know. So, which are many and varied, of course. Uh, another question that, just to sum up, one that came in rather commonly was uh, when you had your experience at Eastgate, was was there a physical? Did you what, what did you feel physically? Uh, did you feel hmm. static electricity, uh, magnetism, anything like that? That was a common question. Yeah, no, I didn't feel anything like that. Um, but I, but as I had mentioned, um, I, I didn't hear anything. I had kind of tunnel vision, mm-hmm. and that was the only physical. You know, attributes I could say yeah. of the, the whole the whole incident, and you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident. You get tunnel vision real quick. You know, yeah, right, right. So it yeah, might have been you, you know adrenaline when you're when yeah. you're amped on adrenaline. Yeah, you know, you get tunnel vision, and yeah, unless you know how to control adrenaline, mm-hmm. you know, adrenaline rushes. Sure. Then yeah, you get tunnel vision, and a lot of times your hearing goes out and you black out just before the you know you hit 
like okay. an impact. All right. So, but uh, and then there were there were a number of questions based on I guess uh, sort of people who are um, uh, faithful listeners to our show who know all about our multiverse theories mm-hmm. that uh, <clears throat> you know. And you really answered this in a way, uh, whether this was a craft from another planet or interdimensional kind of thing or whatever, which nobody will ever know. Right. But you mentioned probably uh, perhaps time travel, as Jim Peniston thinks, mm-hmm. and that would perhaps use th- those uh, those processes if if indeed they they are true. So um, we're bur- we burn up this hour pretty quickly, but I wanted to let you let you uh, if people want to find out more about you, uh, you want to do a shout out. No, oh yeah, um, yeah. Actually, I'm a pretty private individual. Yeah. Um, but what I do is um, you I don't do have ten websites or anything. No, no I, I'm not even on Facebook or anything. Uh, right. I, have, I have no. Well, we miss you to, on Facebook. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I just I'm just not very social when it comes to stuff like yeah. that. Um, but I do I do want to do a shout out to uh, customfighters.com. Uh, it's a website that I'm on that we we build a lot of custom motorcycles. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Interesting. Very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, Ben, did you have uh, another question? Because I have maybe. One or two. Uh, I was uh, more of a comment than anything else. You know, after all of the time that we've spent looking at this case and talking with everybody, you know, one of the one of the problems in in the field of ufology is people usually focus on the incident itself rather than you know the human fallout or any any of the the inter interpersonal play. And I think that this this case is the exact opposite. You know, the 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 whole the whole mystery of of the case is. Well, what what happened to turn such a tight unit together against each other? You know, it's 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 interesting because it bring it brings in a lot of things that you know people have mentioned, whether it's mind control or you know the M- MK Ultra type stuff. But I, I think in the end, if if we're gonna know anything, we know as much as we're gonna know now, which is really nothing at all. <laughs> well, another theme in some of the questions was the presence of nuclear weapons on the base and the report uh, from a couple of guys in the guard tower, I believe, that a craft came from the forest over the weapon storage area and was shining beams down. This is this is a common phenomenon, supposedly, uh, on bases where nuclear weapons are stored. And, mm-hmm. and uh, nukes were not supposed to be there by treaty, but uh, that's another long story that we got into in 2010. And, and again, we would refer to People to our uh, show website behind the paranormal.com, uh, where there is, um, there are a lot of hours of coverage. We've covered this case more than any other show on radio and TV in the world, uh, more than 16 hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's uh, all available free and recorded shows on our special shows, uh, tab there on, the, on our links. Uh, so did you have any thoughts on the nuclear weapons thing or the act and any tampering that may have been done by any craft or anything? Did you know anything about that? No, because again, that would all be hearsay because I yeah. had not had my security clearance and, um, you know, I wouldn't have been privy to such yeah. such information. But uh, when you talk about time travel, if there was a nuclear event, it just seems to me that they'd be coming back and trying to dis- disarm nukes as much as they could. Yeah. Well, I've heard of something. <laughs> we're just about out of time, but uh, we have um, reports from some people that, that on bases, not this base, that the uh, some some of the uh, beams or whatever they are have retargeted hmm. the missiles, not as well as deactivating some. Have retargeted the where? I've never gotten an answer to that. Okay. But we'll have to leave that for another show because yeah. it's time for our announcement section. And uh, again, uh, Steve, uh, we're so delighted to have you here in the studio. Yes, it's thanks, a great you, thank you for being here. Oh, and uh, but we'll uh, get to our announcements. 
So our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. But if you're really serious, you can get an autographed copy at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, or our main website, NewEnglandGhosts.com. Now, we had a great time yesterday during our event and signing at the Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore and Cafe in Webster, Massachusetts, um, in our listening area here. Uh, and we were really, really uh, well-received and uh, charmed by the lovely uh, Deborah, who was the owner, and all the great folks we met there. It was a standing-room-only crowd. Uh, of course, it was a very small room. so It was very intimate. It was nice. So this coming Saturday, March 11th, uh, we'll do a presentation and signing at the Toadstool Bookstore in Keene, New Hampshire. And we're watching the weather forecast with bitten fingernails. So watch BehindTheParanormal.com or our Facebook page for announcements on any changes of the schedule. Okay. Uh, major events where we will be speakers this spring will include the 2017 Northeast Parafest in Kittery, Maine on April 29th, uh, and the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire on May 20th and 21st. On the 21st, we'll do the live show, uh, noon to 1 p.m. from that event with a panel of the speakers. Uh, and we also point out, of course, our dear friend Susan Spooler called. Uh, she's the organizer, one of the organizers of the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Mass. in October, and we'll be there too with bells on. Uh, so keep uh, an eye on the websites for that information as well. Now on Saturday, June 24th, uh, we'll be back at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library, uh, where we will do something we've never done before, a presentation specifically for young people aged 7 to 14 years of age. Uh, on uh, The program's name is Monster Hunters, a cryptozoology work- workshop with Paul and Ben Eno. Okay. Where we get to build your own cryptids. Yeah, so actually we're, we're asking children to bring in their own drawings of Bigfoot or whatever, or what have you on that. Hmm. Uh, stimulated by this whole uh, strange idea, we plan to raid our radio scripts and case files and put together a book about cryptids for young people. Hopefully in time for this presentation, the working title, which Ben doesn't like, A Clatter of Cryptids, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters. Too many alliterations. It's too many alliterations. Yeah, we think we, well, we created a new collective noun, A Clatter of Cryptids, right? Eh. Better than A Murder of Crows. Or Keep trying, Dad. Oh, I will. Uh, new events are being added frequently, so check that BehindTheParanormal.com site or our, show, or our show Facebook page for updates. Okay, you can also check out our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno on, on there. We have uh, Behind the Paranormal Case Files. Our fourth video about the famous Bridgeport Poltergeist case will be up eventually, uh, but uh, there have been many, many bumps along the road, and uh, we may have to reshoot it, which I don't know if I told you that yet, so we're probably going to have to do What? That. Yeah. <sighs> well, I, I thought I explained this, but may, apparently I didn't, so I'll tell you later. All right, good. Well, uh, not good. Anyway, okay, so we uh, direct you once again to BehindTheParanormal.com where you'll find over over 700 free recorded shows and podcasts uh, from um, our years, uh, four and a half year run on CBS Radio, or many years here on ON1240 and even before that. Uh, they're all free. And many of you will be happy to know that this site is being redesigned and it should be easier to navigate. Uh, you can find my other books on uh, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and all the usual suspects, uh, s- books from days of yore before Ben joined me as a co-author. Uh, so, uh, we'll, uh, I guess, uh, what do we got next week, Ben? So, next uh, Sunday, March 19th, we will welcome Venny Kosas uh, for the, uh, uh, or, or for her story on how she escaped her life from a bizarre cult. So, get your questions in now to paul at behindtheparanormal.com. 
And we leave you this afternoon with a sobering thought from Air Force Sergeant Jim, Jim Penniston, retired, whom we've been talking about, another eyewitness to the Reynoldsham Forest incident. Quote, what I once believed is no more, and what I've witnessed defies all that I have. Unquote. And uh, I'm Paul Eno, Steve LaPlume. Thank you for joining us this evening. It was oh, this you're afternoon. Very welcome. And thank you again for your service. Oh, Indeed. You. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.